0: all right you guys welcome to the show i have with me uh one of my favorite colleagues and people that i've worked with for uh, a while now actually i have valerie hammaker with me and valerie welcome to the show
1: hi i'm so happy to be here good to see your face brandon
0: you too Valerie has her Latter-day Struggles podcast, which is amazing and is helping a lot of people. And so, Valerie, is there anything you want to say about that?
1: Well, actually, I do. The only reason why there is a Latter-day Struggles podcast is actually because of you, Brandon Patrick. (laughs) You and I started down this path together, and I never would have had the courage to do this without you. And so, even though we worked together very closely for the first couple of months and then your paths took you a different direction. I I just am in so, so much in your debt that we together thought and talked and prayed and contemplated. And um, it's because of that process that I am doing the thing that I'm doing today. And you know, I tell you often how grateful I am for you, but I want to just say it again. So thank you, Brandon. Thanks,
0: Valerie. So. Um, I, I, You know, I tell you that you are built for that. And <laughs> if you guys go check out Latter-day Struggles, you'll see that Valerie is... Is she's brilliant and not only is she really smart, um, she's also really fair and presents the issues in a way that are really easy to hear. And so, if you have the courage to go check out Latter day Struggles, do it, you won't regret it. So, um, so with that, today's topic, um, kind of lends perfectly to what you talk about all the time, Valerie, and um and and really for me what i I've, I've talked about a lot through the years doing therapy in utah county and just being really not surprised but um aware of how certain beliefs especially certain beliefs in god affect people's mental health um affect their relationships and really have an influence on on their well-being so
1: absolutely i i could not agree more and Honestly, I I used to not. Well, how do I say this? It's like I've always felt like, of course, having a, a correct or what feels like a healthy relationship with God feels a, like a fundamentally important thing. And yet, I would say my sense of its importance to our ability to thrive as human beings it, it's it's amplified in my yeah. mind. Like it's more important than I ever believed it was. And just recently, it's it's really become highlighted for me. And so I'm really excited to talk about this because I have thought. And read a lot about this lately, and have have a lot of thoughts about it.
0: <laughs> so <this> Well, <laughs> please please give us all that you've got. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I do think that when when our thoughts about God or our beliefs about God are a little bit misaligned or a little bit off, then it has great effects on us. Um, and so I've I've come up with a few specific ones um, that I've seen day in and day out, and some of these, Valerie. I I think are in the doctrine of the church and some are more in the culture mm. and some are somewhere in the in between if yeah. you know what I mean yeah. um and so and, and 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 I think some of them it's just the way that they're interpreted and the way they have been interpreted um for a long long time and so as we talk about this I think I think you might have to have a real open mind to to look at this and say hey maybe Maybe I have been viewing this wrong because what are the outcomes of it? Right.
1: Right. You know, I'm actually thinking about how, so I was in the primary program for, gosh, 10 years maybe in a row and the primary chorister. um, And so being a therapist and being someone who is just, I'm, I'm committed to the desire that children from the very beginning feel of the most important thing about going to church if their parents take them is that they feel loved and lovable. And so everything that I was talking about with these children always circled around you're good, you're lovable, you're infinitely lovable, God loves you, it doesn't matter what you do. And so that to me felt like church. And then when I was released and thrown back into the grown-up world, I was shocked and very disturbed, honestly, in almost every class that I would attend it was nothing like that. It was all about, you're actually not infinitely lovable. <laughs> mm-hmm. You need to earn your keep. You need to repent. You need to do better. Your love is not, un- the God's love is not unconditional. And I, it, was, it was so jarring to me as I was listening to the contrast between what was being spoken of in primary and what was being spoken of amongst the adults. Um that that's that to me was actually the, the most challenging transition for me. And I thought I'd be bothered by other things, which I, I was.
0: <laughs> right. But
1: it was mostly it was the nature of God that consistently is um the hardest for me to listen to in the context of formal worship services and conversations at church.
0: I love that analogy and I, I love it because I've experienced it myself. Um, but but think about what you're saying. Um when we teach children that God is love and love, love, love. It feels r- really good. There's harmony there. There's peace. There's freedom. Um, and then when the shouldy should fest comes and all the constructs and all these beliefs come, it's we're all trying to fit into a certain box and be a certain thing rather than just be kind of our wild and free self that's loved. Yes. That's where that I think that's the seeds of shame right there and self-rejection and, and all kinds of, of things.
1: I wonder if it starts in the youth programs, maybe because mm-hmm. they're as we, as we move into adolescence and the fear of making a mistake, like a real mistake, right? I guess maybe, and I don't, I'm just speculating here, but maybe when you're a child, it's like, well, what can you do? What's the harm and just feeling right. like endlessly infinitely loved. There's no harm because a child can't, make any big mistakes that um, compromises, you know, th- their value or worth. I mean, and, and the funny thing is, that's always true. It never goes away. And yet I think what ends up happening is the motivation uh, becomes fear. We want to frighten people into goodness. And so basically we use God's love as the thing that we withdraw, or remove from them to help them stay good, rather than feeling like they're always good.
0: The motivation is fear. Fear in order to frighten people into being good. Yeah. Wow. Like that. And that's true. Like, if there's anything that I believe is not worshiping God, it's that.
1: It's being afraid of God. Fear
0: and control. Yeah, being afraid of God. Well, and yet,
1: sadly enough, I feel like that's all it is almost. I mean, if you think about much of our theology around God, a heavenly father, a heavenly mother, and a savior, and especially if I were even to take out the feminine divine part, because we'll talk more about that later, but really, it's more about fear of powerful men. Yes. And we've got to be good enough each morning and start start afresh each day and being good enough to be earning that lovability. And that fear keeps us in line, and the more we fear, the more in line we'll be, and then the more worthy of their love we'll be, but what is the i think where you were headed a minute ago is what is the outcome of that the outcome of that is psychological and spiritual exhaustion shame struggles with perfectionism and something that doesn't look anything like a vibrant loving relationship with oneself or one or how they are experienced in in relationship with god it's it's all bad i don't see anything yep. good in that like nothing
0: <laughs> yep uh, so, okay so i want to kind of break down what you just said because you just okay. said a bunch of them yeah. and I, and i think the reality is, is that when God is this perfect, powerful man, mm. um, there's, there's certain things about that that can, can be problematic. Um, and so the first thing that I want to look at is this, um, this belief that God is perfect and that no unclean thing can enter into the kingdom of heaven. Um, and so when I think about that, I think of this very unapproachable, um, distant God, who is waiting for me to be completely, totally clean before He can connect to me. Um, and what's your what's your take on that, Valerie?
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, it, to me, it feels like I mean, you said unapproachable, as I was thinking unapproachable. And in order to be in relationship with someone, we we want to feel like we can approach them. That we can be in connection with them no matter who we are or what we're doing and yet i think the theology often teaches us that god is so much beyond us that he cannot or he will not be near us unless we're good enough yes and so i think th- what what also came to my mind as you were talking is we're ta- this this brings up to me the idea of stages of faith development Early stage faith development is all about whether um, on the on two ends of the extreme, you've either got a big Santa Claus figure in the sky that's doling out gifts, or you have the police officer <laughs> in the sky <laughs> who is doling out punishment. So we're either be- being given for goodness or being punished for badness. Either of those are neither of those are are healthy because in both cases uh, we're looking at this relationship from a from a place of how do you see me based on what I'm doing today? And when we move into later stages of development, it has more to do with what I like to think about as like the indwelling God, which is I am deeply connected to a supreme divine other, but it's our connection is because I myself am divine. And while they may be beyond, they are also within me. And we are profoundly connected to one another and that doesn't change depending on… You don't, you don't on need to
0: be perfect No. to have that feeling?
1: As a matter of fact, not only do we not need to be perfect, but it is my feeling that through our life's experiences, inclusive of our missteps and mistakes, we are learning how to be made over in the image and nature of God. Because right. our nature is such that we, as children of God, we yearn for and long for being more like them because we are of them right and so when we make when we struggle when we fail when we fall when we make mistakes when we sin i don't like using that word because it's laden with so much um you know negative emotion but when we do any of those things all of the all that is is it's a signpost to help us recognize does this estrange me from my my true self as a child of god or does it bring me closer to them that's really all it is it's a marker That can help us understand when we are um, moving towards our 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 innateness as children of God, or when we're moving away from it. It has nothing to do with their anger or their their frustration. They're estranging themselves from us. It's that's completely bad doctrine, bad theology, in my opinion.
0: Yeah, I mean, if you really, if we were to dig into the the doctrine, I always think of Adam and Eve, and you know, and they're hiding, and they have fig leaves on, and they're running away, (coughs) and God's like, "Where art thou?" God's there. God's like right there. Hey, mm-hmm. I'm here. And they're the ones hiding and they're the ones disconnecting themselves from God as opposed to God wasn't saying you have eaten the fruit. You have sinned. Therefore I'm done with you. Like I'm totally done. No, that's not how it went down. Um, you know, I, uh, th- this whole perfectionism thing, Valerie, I, I want to give some, some examples here. Um, I have a good friend who, whose wife is so faithful and so devout LDS and just very, very in. And she, for about a month, the month and a half after conference, she gets depressed. Um, and, and she gets depressed because at conference, she's reminded of all the things that she's not doing and all the ways that she's not good enough. Um, and that's not what they're saying at conference, but with that undertone of this quest for perfectionism, um, she feels like I am definitely falling short here. Um, Mm -hmm. I think there's a, and, and, and I want kind of your opinion on this. I think there's a belief that unless we hold this, um, fear there, to strive to be perfect, to strive to be like God, to be perfect enough, that then we're not gonna be good. We're yeah. we're we're just not gonna go do good things because why would we um unless we are kind of forced and controlled to do that. And I think there's this belief that the natural man is just an enemy to God. You're gonna go off the rails, you're gonna mm-hmm. do horrible things unless you have this guilt and this fear and this shame underneath you in order to do good. Um what do you think about that? Well,
1: I mean that that's pervasive in our theology if you ask me and very very dangerous and destructive to the our ability to grow and thrive as human beings. And I think what it really comes down to is a misunderstanding of the nature of the atonement of Jesus Christ, which we this this theology of atonement we've adopted from the Calvinists and from a lot of the very, very early Protestant religions, because if you think about it, we came from early Protestantism. That's, mm-hmm. that's what, yes, the we did. And, yep. and so we co-opted a lot of these various beliefs that have been circulating about the nature of atonement, um and specifically what is called the penal substitution theory of the atonement of Jesus Christ, which is you, it's, it's based on, um, on an earthly system of, of justice, right? Around like, Uh, courts and lawyers and judgment and things like that. In other words, we have co-opted something earthly and handed it to God as something that they, that's, you see what I'm saying? Like we've created in the image of the earth rather than this being something that God has handed to us. So we are creating, we're creating an understanding of God based on the constructs that we're familiar with, not only from the what that which is embedded in history, but something that is worldly. And so the idea there being that we are, we are as we sin we have to pay a price and justice must be served as if someone has to go to jail or they have to pay a fine or they have to do something like that yes and that we're paying that fine to a mean angry god or father in heaven or the you know the and, and then Jesus Christ comes in. And this is exactly how I learned it. I mean, I tell you what, and I taught it this way as a missionary. That's
0: yeah, how I've learned it, too.
1: So God the Father right. is up there. He's, he's something to be feared.
0: On his throne.
1: Exactly. Per, in his in,
0: perfect in, kingdom. Yes. yes.
1: Angry. Well, loving if we're good. Angry if we're upset. And then we need Jesus Christ to intervene, to stand between us and the angry father, because we need protection from God the Father. Yeah. And then Jesus intervenes and says, no, 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 I will, I will save you.
0: I will take I will, this on.
1: I will stand between you and angry God the Father, because you are, in fact, a sinner and are not worthy of His presence. OK, So that is the doctrine that we, in the LDS Church frequently that is the pervasive way we think about it, and we're not alone. This penal substitution theory is, theory is once again, something that is believed um, throughout a lot of modern Christianity. And that is the thing that brings up the fear and the shame, and the perfectionism, and the gross misunderstanding of the nature, not only of Jesus Christ, but really more so than anything of God the Father. You right?
0: know, Valerie, you know what it reminds me of as you're talking through this. I've never thought about it like this, and yeah. it it makes my skin crawl a little bit because it's what I was taught, and, totally. and but it reminds me a lot of my clients who were raised in um, unhealthy family systems yep. where there's a toxic patriarchal, even yep. sometimes abusive figure yes um, who's untouchable, who's dominating the household and everybody else needs to figure out how to fall in line and and doesn't get to figure out who they really are in a safe environment in that house because they got to fall in line. and then there's the you know the older brother or the o- older sibling that knows dad's unsafe. And tries to protect everybody else and take care of it for everybody else because he doesn't want them to get hurt that's like i'm describing a dysfunctional family yeah
1: where did they learn that it's it's part of our theology which is a removed punitive angry father god an abusive figure quite frankly like right like not nice not somebody that you want to be in relationship with not somebody that you want to pray to right and relate with that way and then you do have a savior that's trying to sort of intervene, right. but once again, not the healthiest, not the healthiest constellation of relationship, especially with two people that we have been taught to then worship, and so it's really fraught in so many ways. And I'm going to just now. Now I'm going to move into the way. So that's what we've been taught. Yeah. And then the theology that I believe and that I've learned. Um, if you think about Richard Rohr, if you think about uh, Fiona and Terrell Givens, um, Eugene England the way they have taught me to understand the atonement is completely, completely the opposite of that, which is this, that we are in fact infinitely lovable and that we are forgiven for our sins before we have even drawn breath in this life. Mm. And that we have not only a father, but a mother in heaven that love us infinitely. We have a savior who has 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 suffered on behalf of us so that he can know what we're feeling, and that as we move about life, life is more about education. And we, I would go so far. I know this might sound kind of radical, but I would prefer us to not call Jesus Christ a savior, because that once again is inherited from penal substitution. Jesus Christ is a healer, and we are not sinners; we are wounded. Mm. And mm, so love if we have moved from the wounded, from the, the sinners needing a savior to the wounded needing a healer, then we can embrace this doctrine of Jesus Christ's atonement and a relationship with parents in heaven as those who are infinitely loving of us and watching and cheering us on and loving us through our wounds because they know that there's no other way that we can become more like them but, then, but to learn through life's experiences. Yes. Totally different paradigm. And it changes our natures. uh, It changes the nature of how we see ourselves and how we see ourselves in relationship with all of them.
0: No, it's interesting, Valerie, as you're talking about that, like, uh, amen. I, I so agree with that. And, um, you know, it really, it, it, it is the growth mindset of this life. We, we are here to grow. And so we're already loved. We're already forgiven and we get to grow and um god's god's not there with some ticker like okay now you've moved up to a ways because mm-hmm. you've been more righteous and um god is just loving us and i think if you think about your own children um at least with with my kids they can screw up and that makes me sad cuz i don't want them to have certain consequences in their life but man i love them like i just love them and and they don't need to earn my love i just i just love them and
1: well,
0: you know that's kind of like that, right?
1: Yes, yes, and I think I, I think to think about that from the same, uh, we can look at the paradigm of parent to child. Just the way uh, it's it's healthy to think about our love for our children. I think because yes, I I actually notice, especially as my children get older, and I watch them move about the world, making their choices as young adults and standing back and really enjoying i mean not, i wouldn't say i enjoy their 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 struggles but i i have an eye on the fact that this is
0: they're growing edu-
1: it's education mm-hmm. they are learning some beautiful phenomenal things and i i just watch and observe and i'm there to love on them and to nurture them and to walk through them and talk about this with them and they know that there's no judgment from mom that mom is i'm there i'm there their safe place,
0: mm-hmm. they
1: come to me, they share, and then they go about and learn and grow. And the beautiful thing is, th- this is a great, I'm going to segue just a tiny bit over to a different conversation I had with a couple of my other children, I have four, literally last night, uh, some friends of ours uh, received mission calls, some some of their friends. And okay. so uh, for our little family evening devotional, I used that as an opportunity to say, what is it that those kids, their twins, that got the mission calls? I said, what What are they, what's the value if, if, if young adults choose to serve missions in this church or in any church, what is the value of what they're doing? And so one of the kids said, well, to, to teach about Jesus Christ. And I said, yes. I said, but what is the one thing, what is the one thing that is the most important thing that they can teach about Jesus Christ? And I said, I'm going to ask you a true or false question. So I was kind of setting them up a little bit. <laughs> um, but I said, is it To teach people that if they repent of their sins they will be forgiven and of course they've been you know they've been implicated into this church and so one of the kids said yes that they will be forgiven for their sins if they repent and i said false and of course the kid was like what (laughs) and it's funny because we've i feel like we've tried to teach this principle but it's hard you got to keep pushing up against the, the majority narrative right
0: Right, right, and So right. it's at that
1: point in time that I said, "No, the thing that they, that we want to teach everyone or talk to anybody about that is interested, if we choose to serve full time missions, is that they are lovable before they even sin, and they are already forgiven." And immediately, one of my kids said, "Well, then, what prevents them from being bad?" And I said, oh, "See,
0: there them- it is. Yeah,
1: yes, it was right oh. there." And I and I said to him, "Well, what prevents us from being bad is that when we feel and really believe." like really down to our core, believe that we are that lovable, we don't even want to be bad anymore. Yeah, We, we are, actually we are
0: naturally life. good.
1: We're naturally good. And because yeah. we're children of God, we long for that deeper connection with God. We long for that deeper connection with God within us that cleaves towards light. We move toward light and goodness. Our dispositions change. Yes, And when we're that lovable, that is the activating power of the atonement of Jesus Christ, that we have no more disposition to do that which is not as God is, because the God within us is growing ever stronger.
0: Yes. It's, it's already there. And yes. 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 I, I love it, Valerie. Um, there doesn't need to be force and control. No. I, think, I think there's some toxic, I'll call it toxic morality um, mm-hmm. at play. And I'm, uh, you talk about Christ not being a savior. I'm going to say another thing that might be taking it too far for, but, but hang in here and try to understand this. Um, I, I don't know if I believe there's such thing as good and bad. Mm. And, and what I mean by that is <clears throat> we don't need to judge something as good or bad, or as God saying, Oh, you did a bad thing. There's consequence. So, there, there is consequence to our life. So, there's, there's um, things that will happen if we do certain things, and we can choose whether we want those things in our life or not. But if uh, coming back to what you're saying, Valerie, if we're already loved and we're already forgiven, then this place in heaven that we're trying to earn, um, I don't know how we get there exactly, but I don't think we get there by proving our perfectionism to no. God. Um, I think it comes through our growth. And so it comes through our willingness to step into a lot of vulnerability in our life, to a lot of learning, to taking chances, um, to to falling in alignment with who we are and our integrity. I think a lot of those things will help us feel free and do that goodness that you're talking about. But we don't need that force behind us to say you're good or you're bad.
1: Well, right. I would actually go so far as to say it impedes our ability to grow. Having the force, yes. and having the fear, and having the idea of like judgment, is the thing that prevents us. I think from what really ultimately we're all after, which is a change of nature. Yes, we are, like that's I think as we what, the fear what, will
0: not what, get us there.
1: No, the fear will not cause a change of nature. Fear can invoke a certain kind of temporary right behavior according to those who are imposing the fear on us. Like, it will give us short-term consequences. For example, I think there is a highly effective way to get kids into the temple, for example. Like, if okay. we can move into the box-checking gospel and get them, you know, on what I would consider the, um. I hate to say this, but it it. We talk a lot about, I feel like this new, there's a new language. The covenant
0: path. Exactly. Is that where you're going? That's
1: hilarious. Yes. You read my mind, Brandon. I, yeah,
0: I've heard it it's, so much lately. It seems like yes. it's
1: really, and, I, and I'm sorry to say, though, to me, the covenant path is just a new and somewhat fancier way to talk about the boxes that we are assigned yes. to check.
0: A- to, Amen.
1: And, and to me, I find it to be, it's very problematic because what it means is you do this and then you get this reward, and you do this, and then you get that reward. And the more you do this, the more loved you are by God, and the more validated you are by the institution. And there's no change of nature there, but there is a sense that one is doing something good enough to be seen as worthy in God's eyes. But really, at the end of the day, I'm not convinced that anything really at the soul level is changing because one is doing more of something. As a matter of fact, I'm not saying it couldn't be happening. It could maybe, but to me, it's, it's very anxiety inducing. And sometimes people get confused by doing more. And the more I do, the better I am when actually that might be uh, the opposite going on, which is I'm not actually growing at the soul level because I'm not I'm not pressuring myself to look deeply at things that frighten me, or I'm not pressuring something that may not feel good to my conscience, but I'm going to check the box because it's on the covenant path.
0: Right. Yes. And, and it,
1: yes. It gets kind of confusing to to me. Um, and I think to others that spirituality and religion are not always the same thing.
0: Well, you know, it's interesting, Valerie, if we really look at this, like uh, in some ways we're taught that conformity is the way of God? That's what. That's the pathway back to heaven. Um, and then you look, if you look in the scriptures, and what do you know? If you look at Jesus Christ Himself, mm-hmm. He was not a. He didn't conform. He He right. did the opposite of that. He's a rebel. <laughs> yeah, He was a rebel. And and um, it, with this whole conformity model, um, what what that takes away to me is that individual's purpose and that individual's growth. Um, if, if there weren't those who stepped outside and said, I'm feeling called to this, or I I know I have this gift and I need to use this gift, even if you're going to judge me for it or whatever. And you might tell me that I'm bad because I want to use this gift, use the gift, um, step into that thing that's outside the box a little bit because God's calling you to it. And I know that it's been that way for you, starting Latter-day Struggles, for example, right? Yes. Like that, you're not being a conformist. You're not doing what you should there. And, but you, I believe you're doing God's work at the well, same time, right? And
1: I, and I think what has to happen in our development is that we have to recognize, and this kind of circles back to a healthier relationship or a healthier understanding of the nature of God, And as we have the confidence to commune directly with our Savior Jesus Christ and our parents in heaven, we can more readily step away from certain things that the church may say we have to do or be or become or believe and do what feels right because we are walking on the path that has been given to us directly from them. And I will go so far as to say and this kind of freaks people out when I talk about it, but part of the process of evolving and becoming closer and in closer connection with God and Jesus Christ is the inevitability that we will sometimes get it wrong and that that's perfectly okay. Right. Like right. that has to be okay because that is all a part of the education. And I, I, I consistently talk on my podcast about how the process of our growth in and of itself is creating in us who we are here to become as gods and embryo mistakes and all it's part of the, it's part of the process. And so when we live in this uh, fear-based shame-based I have to get everything right and be obedient, essentially not use the atonement kind of theology, we actually are not growing. We're not changing. We might be compliant. We might be obedient. We might be temple worthy, but we're also incredibly and oftentimes extraordinarily underdeveloped as children of God, learning how, to become God's in embryo, who are discerning, growing, learning, making mistakes, falling down, picking ourselves up, and seeing ourselves as lovable all the way through the process, in our own eyes and in God's eyes.
0: But Valerie, I I hear in what you're saying, I I love what you just said, but I also I, I hear this voice that I've been taught that kind of runs through my head of, so if I if I connect to my heavenly parents, I connect to my Savior and I do that on my own and I know what my truth is independent of what the church is telling me, then I'm, I'm being prideful. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I need to be humble and I need to not go outside this box and go get my own truths because if I go do that, that's dangerous and mm-hmm. I could be off and I could be wrong. And so like, just follow what I'm given, follow what I'm told. And then I'm okay. Yeah. Um
1: yeah no i see I hear you, and I think to me, what I like to think about um weirdly enough i what came to my mind is this the balancing act that we are oftentimes managing not only in relationship with our partners or our friends or our loved ones or even the church is we all want to be connected, we want to be in connection and in a community we're we're built that way that's that's part of our wiring, and then there's another part of us as we grow especially and gain confidence in ourselves that we want autonomy. We want to feel like we own ourselves. And so to me, I think about, especially because my population at Latter-day Struggles, uh, most of them want to have some kind of a relationship with the church. I'm not saying that they want to be active in the church necessarily. Some do. Some do not. But what people are striving for and long for is resolution or a feeling of personal empowerment, that they have some kind of a healthy relationship in or around the lds church and so to that end my whole hope is that we are able to be in connection with this institution in a way that is healthy for us and for many people it's to say as a as we become spiritually evolved there is no good and evil per se i don't think i'm kind of like with you meaning that Mm -hmm. most things out there are neutral And then we use our discerning power and allow ourselves to recognize, say, for example, within the church, I really enjoy that particular aspect. I like that doctrine. That aligns with my own theology of God. I want to be in connection with this part, and I want to listen to and discern what feels good, what feels bad. And so we stay in relationship with, but we are not held hostage by. Yeah. And that I feel like that's kind of true in every relationship, meaning that even with you and me, we talk sometimes, I may not agree Mm -hmm. with everything you say, but we use that as dialogue. Right. And, And we can be like, hey, that works for you. That's great. You do that. And we can honor one another and not feel like, oh, I have to agree with every single thing you say or I can't be your friend anymore. Right. That's not realistic. And so, but once again, it requires, I think, spiritual maturity and psychological agency to say, I'm going to go my path, and I'm going to do what feels right for me, I don't have to throw the entire church out. Maybe some people do because of the trauma they've been through, and that's okay. But many people recognize that they can have a complex relationship with an institution that in some ways has mediated in positive ways their relationship with God, in other ways negative things. And they can say, I will take from you what works for me, and I will throw out the things that don't work for me and I may make some mistakes along the way, and God will bless that because God is blessing my process. And so I guess what I'm trying to say is it's complex. And, um, but, but what you started with in your, in, in your pushback was, ooh, this is too scary of a process. Don't do that. Stay small and do exactly what the church says because that will keep you safe. Well, that, fr- quite frankly, to me, sounds like Satan's plan of salvation.
0: <laughs> well, Val- Valerie, you, you answered my question uh, you know uh, with uh, a recipe for some some real self-realization and some yes. deep spirituality <clears throat> deep connection to god <clears throat> but it requires a willingness to be accountable for yes. for yourself and to and to own it and to not just sit back and rely on what's given to you and and also like people People might judge you and hate you for what you yeah. feel or think or whatever. Um, so there's that side of it, but also this: I am on this journey of connection to God, and I have a personal relationship with God um, that's not just prescribed to me. And I practice faith. I practice discernment. I meditate. I I use. I do those things. I, I ground myself. Um, in order to connect to God, to know what resonates as truth for me. And if it, if it contrasts to what I'm being kind of spoon-fed, then I need to be courageous enough to say that contrasts with that.
1: Well, and I think the thing that's so beautiful <clears throat> about what you and I are um, talking about here is that our increasing ability to do our own journey and to connect with God themselves outside of the validation of family, friends, church, neighbors, ward members, is fundamentally only possible when we understand the nature of God and that we understand how lovable we are. Meaning that the more lovable we see ourselves fundamentally, the more we understand our relationship with infinitely loving parents in heaven and a savior, Jesus Christ. Like, I know that I am that lovable. And therefore, even if I go on my journey and I make some mistakes, they are going to nurture me all the way through that. And so I don't live in shame. I live in this place of um, internal lovability and abundance. And I also have the ability to live outside of the validation of the people that are going to disagree with my path. Because once again, I understand my lovability. I understand that I don't need you to approve of me for me to see myself as lovable in my own eyes and in the eyes of God. And so it's interesting though, isn't it? It all circles around our If we have an essential sense of our relationship with God and see ourselves as that lovable, we can be incredibly brave and do brave things in the service of our own soul's growth that people that don't have that sense. You're resilient. Exactly. Yes. Yes. It's pretty fascinating, isn't it?
0: You're resilient to fear because you you know you're doing God's work. And so they can cast you out. They can judge you. They can whatever. But if you have that peace inside of you and that connection, then you're able to Move forward with truth. Yes, and it's a beautiful thing when you get to that place of resiliency because then you know you're you're in God's work. You're doing God's work. Exactly. So, wow, Valerie, I think this is a good place to kind of wrap this episode up. We still got a couple more things to to break down, um, but I sure appreciate the discussion we've been having. And if you're listening to this and it's bringing some things up in you, then good. That's what we wanted to do today. Um, <laughs> We hope it at least got you really thinking about your relationship with God, your beliefs, and um, how you're how you're approaching your relationship with God, so it can better serve you with with all aspects of
1: your life. Dialogue Podcast Network.